In the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, he was with God and was God. In the beginning, Jesus was the Word. Jesus says, I am, all throughout John's account. He says, I am the bread of life that fed God's people in the wilderness. He says, I am the shepherd that led you through your brokenness. He says, I am the light that first shone into darkness. He says, all of this, I am the resurrection, I am the vine, I am the way, the truth, the life. And he does this to show that he is God, the word who was before the beginning of time, which is a lot to believe. And it's why Jesus said, if you don't believe me, at least believe the signs. For these signs not only pointed back to prove who Jesus is, they also pointed forward to prepare us for what he ultimately did. Whatever the sign may be, the message it would tell is that this Jesus who is God the I Am was going to accomplish his plans through death and burial. That is what the signs pointed to. On the cross is where their meaning was unfurled. That the I Am would be the Lamb who dies to take away the sin of the world. But Jesus would perform a final sign that would prove he is the I Am, the Word, who in the beginning spoke and the universe was made. And that sign is that Jesus rose from the grave. That is why John wrote his book, to give us the signs that point to who Jesus was, what Jesus did, how Jesus died and rose to life. And now, John's gospel comes to each of us and asks the same thing, to please look at these pages, see the signs of Jesus, and believe. Well, good morning once again, and uh, hey, wherever you're at, can we just thank the worship team and Crystal? Wow, that was like so powerful, and um, man, as, as, as much as we try to uh, provide a worship experience online, I just know that translated because right here in this little studio, the presence of God was here, and uh, I just know that God's on the move and He's doing stuff. Um, so I want to dive right in. We're going to uh, re-pick up our series. Uh, thank you, Robert Emmett. My father-in-law preached last week on John 6. It was incredible while we had a vacation in Colorado. And so uh, this week, I'm sort of rewinding the tape and going back to John 5. And we are going to land here for a couple of weeks. I didn't anticipate this, but I'm going to introduce a topic that I think is so relevant, so important. So buckle up. Turn to your neighbor, turn to your family member, turn to your friend or your son or daughter and tell them, buckle up. Okay, John chapter 5, and we're going to start reading. In verse 2, it says, Now there is in Jerusalem near the sheep gate a pool. Stop, pause. Uh, go ahead and go back on me with the screen because I want to uh, unpack this for a second. Um, this is so important and so significant, and it has very little to do with where I'm going with my message, but it's so rad that I want to unpack it really quick. And that is the sheep gate. Now, the sheep gate is from Nehemiah. Now, remember Nehemiah's wall? Well, um, and that's in Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah goes and starts rebuilding the wall. 
And um, this was so significant because Nehemiah asked the high priest to start by building the wall, by building the sheep gate. And there was lots of different kinds of gates. And a lot of times we don't really, it's not really relevant which gate it is. But the sheep gate's super significant because A, the high priest was to build the sheep gate. And one of the reasons for that is because when you would go through the sheep gate, the reason why you would go through it is bringing your lamb for the sacrifice. And then they would go to the pools that we're going to preach about just in a few minutes. They would go to the pool and the sheep would wash in the pool and prepare for burial. And so here Jesus is, the lamb who was slain, and he's going through the sheep gate. And by the way, anytime Jesus came into Jerusalem, he would always come into the sheep gate. There's lots of ways to come into the temple, but this was the way that Jesus always would come through the sheep gate until the triumphal entry when he went through Gate Beautiful. And so this is really cool, Jesus coming through the sheep gate. And um, not only that, when he was crucified, on the way to Golgotha, guess what gate Jesus went through? That's right, the sheep gate. Jesus went through the sheep gate, the, the gate that Nehemiah's high priest set up for the sacrificial land to go through. Jesus went through that same gate on his way to the cross to give his life for us. Come on, that's good news. So anyway, this is super significant because here Jesus is coming through this sheep gate and that's a little thing that we kind of miss. So I'm gonna continue in the story. It says, which is, in Aramaic is called Beth Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been invalid for 38 years. My gosh, I'm 42 so that would be since I was four years old, I had some kind of ailment. That's a long time. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you even want to get well? Sir, he replied, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place, of course, was the Sabbath, because Jesus wants to just mess with everybody. So the Jewish leader said to the man who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, and the law forbids you to carry your mat. Father God, I want to lift up the word to you in these next few moments and ask that you'd speak. And God, I just know that you have a message for us. I pray that it wouldn't be mundane. I pray this wouldn't just be our religious thing to tune into church, but God, we'd open up our hearts and our ears to hear what you have to say to us to bring us into a place of freedom and bring us into a place of wholeness. And God, help us to see what you see about our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I often tell stories when I preach and oftentimes there are stories of fun, funny things that happened to us. And um, recently we went camping. And I actually told a story about this actual camping place at Arizona Oasis. This place is going to get famous because of these sermons. Anyway, Arizona Oasis, we went camping recently. And um, this was the last spot that we went. We had three different locations on this week-long epic camping adventure where we rented an RV and the whole thing. So we landed 
at Arizona Oasis. And rewind the tape, Haley, my daughter, and I really spent a lot of time sort of planning out and figuring out where we were going to go. We had never been to any of these locations. And we were like, for a week before we went, we were guessing which, which place was going to be the best. And we looked at all the pictures they had online. And Arizona Oasis was one that we sort of agreed that is going to be the best spot. We had the best camp spot right on the water. It's right on the Colorado River. And we were envisioning what this place was going to be. It's the name is Oasis, and all the pictures would, would, would say that it's beautiful. And we pictured ourselves floating down the river, and of course, it's ridiculous hot there, so you've got to go in the water. So anyways, we finally get there. We have the last leg of our trip is reserved for Arizona Oasis. And if you don't get in the water, there's no point in going, because it's literally 100 degrees. So we get into our spot, we get out, we put all our stuff out, sit in the chairs, it's about you know, 10.30 in the morning, it's just now getting blazing hot, and we're looking down on the river, and I panic, because what I see is a rushing river, not like a lake that we had, we, we had just come from a lake, and we're sitting on this river, and I look out, and I'm like, are you kidding me? I have, you know, kids that can swim, but nevertheless, they're kids, and I'm looking out, and there's a bunch of people on the river, and it's river camping. So they're drinking and there's music and they're playing, but literally no one's in the water. So I'm sitting there thinking, first of all, A, there's a reason why no one's in the water. Because, not because there's alligators, but because this is a rushing river and you literally get swept away. And so I literally panic going, are you kidding me? Like we drove all this way and we can't even get in the river. And I, I was just, I was thinking to Heather, I literally said to Heather, like, we just need to pack up. This is, this is a total waste. I don't know if you're like me, but I can sometimes jump to conclusions <laughs> and then sort of like emotionally live in that conclusion I just jumped to. Okay, well, this is one of my moments. And I'm just like, I'm already physically bummed. I'm like ready to pick up my chair and put it back in the, in the trailer and just get out of there and drive home. I, I'm getting everyone down. The kids are bummed now. So Heather comes out. And she has a different perspective. And she's like, how do you know we can't get in the river? And I'm like, babe, just you got to trust me. <laughs> My vast experience with this river. I'm just trust me. Like, we can't get in the river. <laughs> so she's like, well, why don't we just go down there and check it out? I'm like, Heather, there's a reason why no one's in the river. It's, it's rushing. It's too fast. So she's like, well, I'm going to go check. I'm like, fine, go check. I'm going to sit here. <laughs> So I literally sit there, and she goes down, and Caleb and Haley follow, and then our dogs follow, and I'm like, okay, we might as well go down there. So we go down the river. So we talk to the first family, and Heather's like, hey, guys, you know, we're new, never been here before. And they're like, oh, this place is great. And they're like, well, can we go in the river? And they say, yeah, you can go in the river. And so I step in, and I'm like, is it safe? And they're like, well, define safe. <laughs> I'm like, uh, our kids, you know, and they're like, well, it depends on how good they can swim. I'm like, okay, you're right. See, we can't go in the river. So we go to the next person. They said the same thing. We go to the next person. And they're like, oh, no, you can totally float the river. And so then just then, a couple of kids get their rafts, jump in the river, and start floating down. And Heather's like, see, it's not so bad. And I'm still not convinced. 
I'm like, well, we'll see. So we get our tubes. We like tie them together. I'm like ultra safe. I'm, I'm kind of a rule breaker in life, but when it comes to our kids and safety, I'm kind of overboard. So anyway, I've got, you know, the, the tubes and I'm holding them together. And, I, and as soon as we get in the water, I realize, oh man, this is totally not a rushing river. It looked like a rushing river out there, but right here, and we ended up spending the whole next two days floating the river. It was like literally the best spot. To this day, our kids say it was our favorite camping spot because you can float the river. <laughs> and I was thinking about that because how many times in life do we like assess a situation and then because of what we immediately see or because of what we've experienced before, like I've been down this road, I know how this ends, we just kind of like get paralyzed. And, and we end up living like a powerless life because of our perception of how this might go. And fear and anxiety works into that. And I'm just like, look at our world today and how much assumption is being made. And it's, it's very paralyzing. And, and God does not want us to live that kind of life. And, and we're going to dig into that topic over the next couple of weeks because I think it's so relevant. See, Jesus came to heal this man, this man at this pool. It's not a rushing river. It was a pool. But Jesus came to heal him of something that wasn't exactly what you think. Obviously, this guy had a physical ailment, but, but what we see in the conversation that transpired is that Jesus came and he had a different agenda. Isn't that like Jesus? Like, how many times do we think we know what we need and we pray and we ask God and we demand and we expect and then Jesus is like, you're not even looking at the problem. Like, you, don't, you have no idea what you need. Let me come and actually help you move forward. And we're like, ah, I didn't see that. Didn't have that blind spot. But you're right. Our perspective is skewed. And here this man was stuck. How, so going back to like this story, Jesus comes to this man. And as soon as I read the story, I always think the same question. How do you not say yes to the question, do you want to be healed? Now, realize that Jesus at this time was a known, not only rabbi, but it was known that Jesus was healing people. He was healing people all over Jerusalem and, and Galilee. And so the, world, the word was, has already been spread, which is why the, the Pharisees were already trying to trap him at every turn, and this one included. And so the idea that this man somehow hadn't heard the news um, he knew who Jesus was. And so this person, Jesus, who's been healing people, comes to you and he says, do you want to be made well? Well, you've been sick for 38 years. H how do you not immediately say, yes, please, like, yes. I mean, it's like Bill Gates walking around giving people a million dollars just because of the fun of it. And he comes to you and he says, hey, would you like a million dollars? And your answer isn't immediately yes. I mean, come on, get with the, get the program. And yet we see this guy's response and, it, and it, we see clearly his vision and perspective about his life was so dysfunctional that he didn't even have the, capa the capacity to say yes. I wrote this down in my notes. It'll be up on the screen. The enemy comes to steal first before he can destroy you. The Bible says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but he comes to steal first. He can't destroy you he can't destroy the assignment that God has on your life until he first steals from you. 
I mean, he doesn't steal physical things. He steals things that have been purchased for you by God. And he comes and steals those things and leaves us empty and powerless. The title of my message, and it'll be the title for the next few weeks, is this. You're too powerful to live powerless. You're too powerful. Turn to your name and say, you're too powerful. No, like you, you... You're too powerful to live, to live a, another day living powerless. You, you remember the story of David, David and Goliath. This, it's this, this epic battle that's taking place and you have the, the Philistines on one side and you have the, the Israelite army on the other side and King David is, is king of that. And they, they have like, they set up these camps and, and the Bible says um, in, uh, in 1 Samuel that David, who was keeping the sheep, comes out to bring his, his brothers who are in the Israelite army lunch. And, and what David experiences and what he sees just like floors him. Because what he sees is Goliath, who's this monster giant, and the army behind him confident, like they, they know they're going to win. Intimidating. And then on the other side, you have the Israelite army. And what David says is that they were cowering in fear. That, that literally the man's heart within him had withered and cowered in fear next to nothing. And they saw themselves as already defeated. I don't know if that's ever happened to you where you walk into something or a situation and because of your past or because of your experiences or your perspective, you're already defeated. And this is the way that this army was. And so David is like, are you kidding me? Like we're, we're God's people and we're more than able and you know the story and you know how the story ends. But there's a little piece of this puzzle that I hadn't seen until not too long ago when I started digging into it. And it's really changed my perspective about the story. Because the way that we see it is that David was this mighty, this mighty, you know, Christ following, you know, God-fearing man that, that, that had the confidence to take down this giant. But the reason he had confidence is the same reason you and I can live powerful. And we see it in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 1. And it's this simple little line that you would miss if you didn't know the context. It says this, the Philistines, the, the, the pagan army against God's people, the Philistines were camped at Saka. The place that they were camped was called Saka, which belonged to Judah. And then it goes on and tells the story. So the idea is that David comes and he sees this taking place and he sees the enemy have moved in and then God's people are on this ridge and they're facing off. But what David sees that they're unable to see is, wait a minute, they've moved in on physical land that we have been given by God and it's God's authority that we can take that land because it's ours. And God, God's people, God has proven that to his people by the way that he told them to take the promised land and he gave them favor to overcome every enemy and every battle they won victoriously because of the land. This is your land. And David saw that and he said, wait a minute, they've moved in on land. It's already been purchased for us. And so therefore I know that God's gonna be with us. And the same is true about us. So many times the enemy steals things that Jesus has already paid for 
And yet the enemy's so sly and so sneaky and we end up living powerless. We end up living less than victorious lives in areas that have clearly been paid for by God and yet we're standing on the ridge looking at this big giant and we live powerless lives. And it takes somebody else on the outside to come in and say, you know you don't have to live like that. You know you don't have to be powerless in this area and this thing. I know that it seems like it's this mountain that you can't overcome, but you don't have to live like that. And if you would allow me to be that person in this moment to say to you, you don't have to live like that. You don't, you don't have to live powerless. God's given you authority to walk in power and confidence and boldness in every area of your life. And we're going to unpack that because that's easy for me to say, but I want to talk about what it looks like in action. Galatians chapter 5 verse 1 says this, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. This, this purchasing that Jesus did for us on the cross. What took place on the cross and what took place in the, in the grave when he raised from the dead and set the captives free. It says it's for freedom that Christ set us free. So stand firm. Christ's part is he did the work. Our part Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a a yoke of bondage. This man sitting at this pool, he was powerless. He was crippled, defeated, and his perspective had been completely hijacked to the point where he wasn't even able to say to Jesus, yes, I've been sick for 38 years. You're healing people. Yes, I want to be healed. He was stuck. He was victimized. I wrote this. See anyone lately um, walking around powerless and defeated? (laughs) I think in today's day and age, we see people all over that are completely defeated, completely powerless, stuck in fear and anxiety. And and, um, God, the enemy is having a heyday. See, around the time when Jesus was walking the earth and he interacted with this man, the world system was, was perfectly designed to keep people down. And part of it was the law. And, and I love that verse in this context because it really reveals how the world, and our world system is no different, strives to keep you down. The God of this world does not want you to walk victoriously. And so the world system is perfectly designed for you to stay the victim. It's perfectly designed for you to stay defeated and powerless. And we see that because in verse 6, it says, and it's unlawful to carry your mat on the Sabbath. The Pharisees came to this man who'd been healed. And instead of them going, oh my gosh, isn't this cool, this man, he's been sick for 38 years and now he's walking, isn't this awesome? Instead, they come to him and they condemn him and they say, no, you can't carry your mat. Well, Jesus had said to this man, I want you to carry your mat. Why? Because that mat for him represented like his comfort zone, his binky, his thing that had been, had been like carrying him, defining him. This, is, this, is, this is, defines you as a cripple. Lay on that mat and do what you're told. That's what the world would say. And Jesus said, no, that thing that's been defining you, it's time for you to carry it around for a change. Why don't you pick up that mat and walk? And here come the religious people. Here comes the world system saying, no, no, no. It's the Sabbath. So I need you to not pick up that mat. I need you to not carry 
your mat. And we just have to be on guard with the reality that the world system does not want you to walk in victory. There are even friends of yours, well-intentioned, that aren't walking with the mind of Christ, maybe are not even saved, and are engulfed in the world system. And the way they think is designed to produce bondage. But we're going to walk in victory because you don't have to live powerless anymore. So um, I want to I want to I want to pause for a moment. We have a video that I think really lays out where we're going and lays out like just the the power that we have and the strategy of the enemy to keep us down. So enjoy this video. If you've ever driven to a circus, you'll see the elephants standing out on the parking lot, right? The elephants will be out on the parking lot, these huge, powerful beasts. But they don't go anywhere. They don't run. They don't move. You know why? Because they got a chain around one of their legs. A little teeny chain with a little teeny peg in the ground that these beasts could rip out any old time they feel like it. Because they got the power. They got the power. All they got to do is jerk that leg and that little peg would come out of that and rip that concrete and tear that chain, but they don't budge. You know why? Because they were taught ever since they were a little baby elephant that when you feel this chain, you have no power. From the time they were born, when you feel this chain on your leg, that means you are nothing, you are nobody, and you don't move. Because you're not here to demonstrate your power, you're here to perform. And we got a lot of Christians who aren't here to demonstrate their power, they're here to perform. And so you come to church on Sunday and you perform, but you don't have any power. You come, you drag in church with this chain on your leg. This chain on your leg talking about, I'm coming to worship God and I'm coming and he's able with this chain on your leg and he's so high you can't get over with this chain on your leg and, and he's so wide you can't get around and you got this chain on your leg performing for the circus and the hell is laughing at you eating its cotton candy with that chain on your leg. It's time for you to say, in the name of Jesus Christ, get off of me. Let me go. Get that chain off of me. I'm free. And he who the Son sets free is free indeed. You're free. Walk like it. Act like it. Are you free? Are you free? Are you free? Did Jesus make you free? Then walk like it. Talk like it. Act like it. Hold your head up high and be free. He set you free. He set you free. Wow. What a powerful video. When you feel that chain on your leg, you have no power. When you feel that chain, that, that thing that keeps coming up, that thing that keeps holding you back. It's the enemy. It's the world system that's designed to play with you, to mess with your perspective, to steal your power. Every time you feel that, you are defeated. It's like every time you come up against that relationship, every time you face those finances, every time you're, you're in that dynamic where you're realizing your own frailty or your own past and that shame comes up, every time that takes place and you feel that instantly, you're defeated. And I just, I'm just here to tell you that like Jesus already paved the way 
for you to walk in confidence and boldness and authority. And for the next three weeks, we're going to kind of be unpacking three areas, three chains that the enemy uses to keep us bound. And I'm going to roll through them really quickly. And we're going to kind of land the plane on a scripture. And I want, I want the spirit of God to minister to you in this moment. But the three chains that the enemy uses is a chain of shame, a chain of fear, and a chain of offense. A chain of shame, fear, and offense. So I want to start with the first one. And I put a picture of that elephant because I, I, I love that visual. Identity, that, that he attacks your identity in shame. That the enemy is trying to keep you bound in this area of your identity. And we see this with this man. This man has been bound for 38 years. Guess what? It's who he is. Who are you? This is one of the areas that the enemy wants to keep you powerless is who you are, who you really are. And shame, shame is not tied to what you've done. Shame's tied to who you are. Shame says, I'm disappointed in who I am. Regret says, I, I, I'm disappointed of what I did. But shame is about your identity. And we know what God says about our identity, that we are a new creation in Christ. But the enemy would love to attach that, that chain of shame based on how you feel about yourself because of what people have said, because of things you've done, because of things you struggle with, and it attacks your identity. And it's that chain that keeps you down, keeps you defeated, keeps you powerless. And it keeps you from stepping out of the things that God has for you. And so this is one of these areas, and we're going to tackle that next week. We're going to talk about your identity and how to walk as a powerful, victorious person in the area of your identity. The second one is about your circumstances. And the enemy comes with that chain of fear. Your, your world. And we see this with the man when Jesus came and said, like, do you want to be made well? And he goes, well, you know, I don't have anybody to, to take me into the pool. Like, this is my plight. These are my circumstances. And this is where we live victimized. In our world, we see that all over, is that people get stuck being the victim and they have no power to overcome because their circumstances, the enemy has a way of creating these facades of huge mountains and no way you could get through these and no way these could ever change. And I know what, you know, the, the, what the Bible says and I know what those Christians say, but that's not true about you because you'll always have mountains in your life and you'll always be financially defeat, defeated and whatever it might be. And that's fear. It keeps you bound. And every time you try to get ahead a little bit, the enemy comes and reminds you of that chain. He brings another obstacle. And then all of a sudden, immediately you're defeated. And we're going to tackle that the next week of how to overcome and be a victor regardless of your circumstances because of what Jesus paid for, because of the peace and the hope and the confidence that we can have despite our circumstances. And the last one is relationships and the enemy comes with a chain of offense. <laughs> this is relevant in today's day and age. The, our culture, it's, it's, like, it's like, it's the norm to be offended. And Jesus, he, he said, he prayed in the garden at his lowest of low. When his disciples had fleed and already left him, one of his disciples betrayed him. And everybody else is against him. If he ever had a moment where he had the right to be offended, 
Instead, he prays to God in John 17 and says, I pray that they, the people that are on earth now and all those to come would be one as you and I are one with nothing against them, that they would understand this power in unity that, that, that Jesus paid for on the cross so that we can walk without being offended. That doesn't mean people aren't gonna be hurtful. That doesn't mean hard things aren't gonna happen. It doesn't mean hard conversations will, happen, will need to happen. But we don't have to walk around bound with that chain on our leg with offense. And I'm telling you, it is a massive chain. And the enemy wiggles that chain and makes sure you feel it every time you want to go into a relationship and you want to begin to trust again and you want to connect with people. And all of a sudden, here's the enemy wiggling that chain. He goes, no, you better not get close to people because you know what happened when you get close to people. They hurt you. So why don't you stay guarded? Why don't you, li- why don't you live your life with barriers around you? Because that's too painful. And so you should live as a victim. You should live powerless. And so we're going to dig in to these things. And we see this take place with this man in regards to offense. Because not only does, did, did he say to Jesus, well, I try to get up, but no one's here to help me. And then he says, and when I do get up, that person and that person, they get in front of me. And I bet you he was pointing at him. That person over there, yeah, they, they, they cut in front of me one time. And then I remember 15 years ago when I tried to get up, that bum over there, that cripple, yeah, he cut in front of me too. And he's been holding the fence for 38 years. Those are the chains that the enemy uses. Mm, it's going to be a good three weeks. Hey, I want to um, I want to land the plane with a scripture that I want to read that's so powerful. And I want you to close your eyes for a minute, just right where you're at. Just do this for me. Close your eyes, and I want this scripture, Romans chapter eight. I want it to minister to you in this context, because Paul starts out and he says, "What then shall we say to these things?" These chains, these dynamics, these things that that we face, that we struggle with, that we feel. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since, Since God did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us, won't he also give us all things? You're not lacking. God's for you. He goes on, who dare accuse us? Who dare accuse you? Whom God has chosen for his own. Well, God, no. He's the one who gave, who has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? Well, Christ, no. For he's the one who died for us and was, has raised to life for us and is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. It goes on to say, can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Does it mean that he no longer loves us? If we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger, threatened of death, when our circumstances are around us, does that mean his love's not there? And he says, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Father God, I thank you right now that you're speaking overwhelming victory is ours. And that's just not, 
That's just not a fun churchy thing that we say. That is grounded in the truth of your word. God, that we can walk with confidence and boldness. We are not the victim because if God is for us, who can be against us? And so, Father, I pray right now as you're speaking to us that we would begin to have eyes to see once again in those areas where the enemy has stolen or hijacked our perspective. The enemy has clouded our view of who we really are, has, has caused us to live defeated in an area and maybe it's because we've been this way a long time and we don't know any other way and Holy Spirit, you have the ability to go in and give us a new lens and a new perspective, Lord, that we could walk in boldness and confidence and I pray over the next few weeks that you would open up the jail cell, that you would loose the bonds and that we would find freedom and wholeness in areas that we have been bound and we would be powerful people for a city that needs goodness and hope and a world that needs confidence and truth like never before. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have an awesome day and we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, at our live service at 9 a.m. God bless you.